Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and a real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista. Hey, what's going on everybody? We are super excited to have you with us for another episode. Oh, you know what? This is going to be a great conversation. And before we dive into the conversation today, you know, we got some really cool gatherings that are happening around the nation. And the first one we wanted to really talk to you about, I'm sure many of you have heard about it already. If you've been a part of the Keep It 100 tribe is we're doing another prophetic masterclass. We did one last year in fall of 2022. We're now doing another one September 1st and 2nd in Bowie, Maryland. And we're calling this the Prophetic Masterclass East Coast. Yep. It is going to be September 1st and 2nd. You can go to our website, seanandkristasmith.com. Chris is going to be speaking. I'm going to be speaking. We're going to have our great friend, uh, Prophet Julian Adams. He's from the Boston area. He did such a phenomenal job. The guy is deep in the word, has a true just understanding of the prophetic. He has actually has a school and does a great job. So he is as good a quipper as we know. And we're super excited. You need to get in the room. But also, if you're not able to make it out to the East Coast in Bowie, Maryland, and Washington, in the DC area, we now have the live stream option. We really do. And I think, you know, for people to hear, this is more than a gathering. The, the, the purpose of this is to really activate the prophetic gift in your life. For many people, they want to go to the next level in the prophetic gift. They've, you know, kind of in the entry level and they're like, hey, I want to go deeper. This is for you. For others, you're like, I love the prophetic. I'm around the prophetic. I'm when I see people move in the prophetic, I think, man, I wish I could move like that. This is for you. This is for wherever you're at in your prophetic journey, we're honestly going to have something for you. And this is going to go from a foundational fundamental teaching to advanced teachings. And we really want to get people equipped in the area of the gift of prophecy. So don't miss this two-day extensive teaching where you're going to be learning how to hear the voice of God. You're going to step into a new dimension of sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to learn how to prophesy with greater confidence. And I believe this will be a marking time for you as well. So don't miss it. Hey, this episode, we're going to be talking. We're going to have an interview later on with Heath King, and we'll kind of tee that up for you in a moment. But we're one of the things that we're kind of wanting to address and kick around a little bit is the whole aspect of our life as a worship unto God and purposely and intentionally living with verticality. And so when we talk about living vertically, I think a good place to start, and I was thinking about this, is King Hezekiah, Krista. And the thing about King Hezekiah I like is that he was a king that brought revival. One of the best revival Bibles uh, in the book of Chronicles, in the, uh, I think it's the second Chronicles in the Old Testament, Hezekiah had brought revival after several kings that there were some bad kings in there that really brought the nation of Israel down. And the verse says something like this. And again, we're talking about vertical Christianity versus horizontal Christianity. And it says in second Chronicles 31, 21, speaking of Hezekiah, we know that he organized proper temple leadership, got the priest right. He restored the celebration of the Passover. He cleanse and restore temple worship. He opened up the temple doors. And it says in 2 Chronicles 31, 21, it says, and in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God. And he did it with all his heart and prospered. And it's you see right there, King Hezekiah understood the importance of the vertical relationship first and foremost, and then the horizontal plane falls into place. Previous kings, it did political alliances and a 
essentially it's it's kind of the if you want to bring it in the New Testament, it's the political spirit, but it made the horizontal. And the moment they made the horizontal the be all in all, they fell into idolatry. They fell into kind of compromising relationships with pagan nations. And I and I kind of feel like this part of establishing the verticality is so important, right? You know, it really is. We have to understand that you know, vertical a vertical worship is more than songs being sung on a Sunday morning. Vertical worship is a lifestyle, and we really see this, you know, uh, in this portion of scripture says, therefore, brethren, I implore you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God, a spiritual act of worship. And I love that that's Romans 12, 1. And that portion of scripture really captures that our lives are a living sacrifice. And that means we are not, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We live a life that is vertically focused with vertical adoration, vertical surrender, that God gets the full glory for our lives and that our lives are not compartmentalized, but a, a but truly an offering before the Lord. As we live our lives, we get the privilege uh, that everything that we do is for his glory. And so when we understand that we have the opportunity to be a living sacrifice, one that brings adoration and honor to God, what a joy that we get to worship more than a song. We get to worship in our lifestyle. So true. And you know, I think you can take this even another step further. I think there are times even in my life where all of a sudden the horizontal, you know, being a minister, you're ministering to people, you're serving people, you're meeting the needs of people, that sometimes you can get an imbalance. And maybe to someone else, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your hobby, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your pet, maybe it's whatever. But those kind of things, you just get so busy with the horizontal that all of a sudden you get an imbalance in your life. And when you get that imbalance, all of a sudden it could lead to burnout. It could lead to you becoming distant from God. It could lead to you, literally, as we've seen this quite often, the enemy begins to piggyback on that and begins to cause people to go through a season. You're going to get, uh, you lose your peace. There's anxiety. There's essentially, there's so many, uh, I would say, consequences that when we're not living with that vertical intentionality, that God is first and it's got to be that way. And the cool thing is I'm starting to see that in church. I think for a while, even the way we did church had become so horizontal. We were kind of treating the people in our community as a demographic. We were bringing them in and, and all of a sudden kind of offering a service like they were consumers and all of that stuff. But now you're beginning to see, I'd say post-pandemic and just certain churches that you're beginning to see a verticality restored that, hey, this thing is about loving Jesus. This thing is about worship unto God. This thing is about a pure and simple devotion. And as we've been doing a lot of Gen Z stuff, really this emerging generation is hungry to really have an authentic connection to Jesus. They want to know his heart. And when you begin to realize that, hey, Christianity isn't about pleasing you, it's about pleasing him. Because when you begin to please you, you're going to begin to please man. And the moment you put man, a man-pleasing spirit over a God-pleasing spirit, then all of a sudden the horizontal has replaced the vertical. And we know the cross, there was a vertical aspect. One of the wood pieces obviously was vertical. One was horizontal. We know there is a horizontal aspect that we serve others, that we fulfill the great commission, but that has to come secondary. And I think the verse is that when Jesus called the disciples to be with him, then he sent them out to do ministry. But the first thing is he called them to be with them. And so part of the question begs is really, uh, keep 100 tribe and each of us, uh, how vertical is your Christianity right now? Mm, that's so good. How much is Jesus the focus and the motivation and the heart and the fuel and the be all in all? 
all that Jesus Jesus isn't a means to an end. I'm doing the Jesus thing so I can get blessed. Jesus thing so what I'm putting my hands to will be prospered, but that Jesus is the be all end all. I love that because I think your question makes us recognize of how much self we have in our Christianity. That if we're going to have a vertical worship lifestyle, if our worship for Jesus is going to be, and our life and devotion to Jesus is going to be fully vertical, the self part of us has to truly, that flesh must die. And there must be that full surrender. We have to die to self. And that's not an option. It, It really is a requirement to be a follower of Jesus. And I think if we understand truly to live vertically is that we understand that we live for the kingdom of God, that that's our highest allegiance. That's our highest alliance is the kingdom of God. And we've aligned ourselves with so many other things, right? In this world, we've aligned ourselves maybe with a political party, or we've aligned ourselves, um, you know, with things that don't have eternal gain or value. But we have to recognize that we have to be about kingdom above all. And you've even addressed this on a racial level that you're like above being African American, you are a child of God, you're for the kingdom of God, above being white or um, Scottish, French, Irish that I am. It's like above all those things, above my ethnicity, I'm a child of God. And our allegiance must be to the kingdom of God uh, because that's truly the highest alliance. But that is a lifestyle and even a mentality of verticality. Wow. I mean, that is true. And it really gets down to that. And I, I I think it's not the popularized version of Christianity today. The popularized version of Christianity is horizontal. I want music that makes me feel good. I like the beat. I like the song. I want to sing songs that kind of I, my playlist. And I, I get it. Hey, you know, there's a little bit of that, uh, that we're always going to glean towards songs that we feel that are aesthetically, you know, in terms of the the listening quality better. But at the end of the day, we got to say, does that lift up Jesus? And, and right now, I think there's a a redefinition in a good way because there's been a bad definition in the past. And the bad definition is, hey, you follow Jesus on your own terms. But the Bible talks about in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So Jesus is defining what does it mean to follow him? To follow him doesn't mean that, you know, and this is the horizontal version, is that, hey, I wear Christian gear. Hey, I'll identify, I'll put a little handle on one of my social media. I'll do a little Christian post time to time. I'll let people know I'm listening to this worship group and that group. Jesus said to follow him is not a social media move. He's saying it is a deny yourself, take up your cross move. And that's getting your Christianity back to the the vertical place because taking up your cross, uh, you have to understand there is a cross for you to carry. That Jesus died on the cross, but you still have to pick up the cross. And that part of that cross, I believe, is to a certain certain extent, dying to that horizontal being the ultimate priority of my life and coming back to it's about Jesus first. It's about his heart. And I think there's a lot of people and, and you know, we talk to people like that. We've prayed through stuff in our own lives and that because we certainly don't have it together. But I think when you're getting offended a lot, it's kind of proof that the horizontal is eclipsing the vertical. When you get overly hurt as it relates to, to people letting you down in the church. And so, all of a sudden you fall out as it relates to the church in general. I'm not talking about a particular church. I'm talking about the church universal of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you begin to do it, it's proof that the horizontal eclipses the vertical because we have to understand he's a chief shepherd and his word calls us to stay in connection. And at the end of the day, Jesus is coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a bride and you want to be a part of that 
bride. And he tells us how that looks. And that means to stay in community, stay in connection. So it's honoring that vertical over the horizontal. And there's even a vertical narrative, which is Bible, biblical worldview, and a horizontal narrative of how people are telling you what's right, what's what you should do, how you should think. But the vertical is what you said. Really, it was all said and done. It's back to that worship. You know, I'm really excited for this conversation today because I just feel like it's such a great segue into what really is important and what we're talking about today with Heath King, just an incredible worship leader. We're bringing him out for a momentum night, August 25th, and it's just going to it's just going to be such a powerful time with him. But I love this conversation. It's going to be kind of a part two of what you and I have just talked about. So keep it 100 tribe, get ready because it's such a powerful conversation between Sean and Heath. Hey, keep it 100 tribe. You guys are going to be so blessed. We got Heath King here. Heath, what's going on, man? Nothing much. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing good, bro, man. What's going on in Florida, man? What you doing? It's hot, um, but it's <laughs> go, it's good. Um, just been busy with church things here, traveling, um, doing some shows around town because I'm into theater and the, the arts community as well. So just been busy doing all of that, but it's good. Hey, I love that. I love that, man. Uh, for our listeners, man, Heath and I, we met at a Power and Love uh, conference with a mutual friend of ours, Todd White. And uh, we were we were out there. Help me out. We were in Pennsylvania. Is that right? I think we're in Pennsylvania. Greensboro. Pennsylvania. And uh, we did a out power and love. We trained and equipped people. And he led in worship. And the moment he did, Keep 100 Tribe, I, I stood up and I got, oh, my goodness, this brother is anointed. He's the real deal, man. And it was it was powerful. And uh, we got connected there. And we're going to have him out uh, coming up here August 25th in Oakland, California, Oak Town. Yes, and, super uh, excited. Come on, bro. And we're going to have a worship and flow night. And uh, Heath is going to lead us and he's going to be worshiping and flowing. And Krista and I are going to get up. So we invite you. It's a free event. Uh, you guys can go to our website, seanandkristasmith.com, get any information you need on that. Heath, you were saying you're in the arts. And man, that is so important because this generation, you know, you're, you're Gen Z, man. It is such, I think at this point in time, something that God is highlighting is he's breathing on the arts, the yeah. that prophetic inclination in a generation. Uh, obviously, you sing. What else do you do in the area of arts, bro? So um, I'm a performer at Disney World. Nice. Um, so I do a show. I do find a Nemo. I'm one of the blowfish character. I am the blowfish character. Uh, but then I also do a show during the holiday season called Joyful. And it's a gospel celebration of the season in Epcot. And so we're getting ready to kick that off uh, about the end of October, beginning of November. Um, and that's literally, I mean, we're singing, you know, gospel songs for Christmas. And um we lift up the name of Jesus in Epcot, and so that's fun. Uh, but for now, those are the two shows that I kind of juggle between throughout the year. Oh, man, dude, I love that. I love that you're expressing that. You get a chance to do all that. Hey, Heath, one of the things we love to do, man, and keep it 100, bro, we we love to find out origin stories, man. So yeah. give us give us your origin story, and it could be, you know, how did Jesus make uh, the kingdom real to you, how, how the miraculous power of Jesus, or how you got saved, whatever. But give us your origin story, bro. Awesome. Yes, sir. So I... I am born and raised here in Orlando, Florida. Um, all of my family is here. Um, I'm on, well, I'll be 24 uh, soon, but I'm 23 now. Um, I've been leading worship and in church my whole life, but I started leading worship when I was eight. Um, but my grandmother was a pastor. My mom is a worship pastor. So I kind of juggle between two different churches kind of growing up. One was more old school. One was a little bit more um, modern or new school, if you will. Um, and so I juggle between the two of those throughout my life. Uh, and church just is what I, you know, I love to do. I love to play church, you know, in the garage and things like that. And my grandmother, <laughs> uh, my grandmother, 
together, she cultivated or she let me cultivate my a space for me in the garage. And it became like my just like safe haven and music studio. I used to want to be a pastor. So I said, you know, this was I had a church name and everything. Um, and I just lived out there. And, you know, if I wasn't at school, I was in the garage or if I wasn't in the garage, I was at a church service. Um, and so I just, you know, used to just um, spend all my time in there and seek God. And although sometimes it was playing, it did get real many times. Mm. And, um, you know, as a young boy, I would just see things in church and I would mimic that in the garage and pray that the same encounter that we had in church would hit the garage. And sometimes it really did. And so, um, yeah, I feel like for me, that's kind of how it started. Um, I would say that as a young boy, obviously growing up in church, I've known the Lord my whole life. And so there, I don't have like a crazy story of running away and having to find God again, necessarily. Um, but my biological father was not present in my life. He left when I was age of three. And so because of that, I battled with a lot of identity problems and I battled with rejection and depression and a lot of things that I didn't know was because of that until about 2019. Um, we were in Hawaii. I was traveling with uh, Eddie James at the time and um, we were singing one of his songs called Abba. And a young man shared his testimony about coming home and finding his father dead in the bedroom. And um, when he shared that testimony, I literally broke and I ran out the church because I, I for so long I had carried this like weight of um, me not having my father in my life. And for a long time, I thought I was like, oh, I will be okay if he died. Like, I, you know, if something was happened to him, I'd be okay. Like, we don't have a relationship, but I just thought I was okay. And I would tell myself I was okay. And people would always say, you need to reach out, you need to reach out. But he also wasn't doing his part either. And so um, because of that, I kind of just grew, I would say numb to the whole situation until that night. And um, I sent him a long message, kind of just releasing him and forgiving him and just letting go of that weight. And as the more I typed, the more I felt lifted and freer. And I found my identity again in God that night. And so I would say for that moment, it was kind of like a recommitment moment. Um, although, like I said, I never left church throughout that time. Um, I was just leading worship, but battling secretly. And so um, until that moment, it became real to me again. And so, yeah, I would say that's kind of like my origin story, if you will. Bro, number one, to go back home in your garage and bro, turn it into a sanctuary and bro, play church, but you got to know from heaven's perspective, man, Father yeah. God was looking down, smiling on you. Angels yeah. was joining in that. But he, you know, as you were sharing that moment when, you know, you grew up, you know, your dad not being in position and uh, stepping out and, and then that point of you just reaching out to him, forgiving him, releasing him. Yeah. That is such a huge thing. You know, obviously yeah. we have such a fatherless generation, orphan generation, uh, the Old Testament canon, which means Old Testament uh, scriptures closes out by saying that the spirit of Elijah would come again, turn the hearts of fathers to children, children to fathers. Mm. And for you to have that moment moment, man. And uh, that was just a, a profound thing. Like from that point on, would you say, man, Father God became that much more real to you and you experienced more Father God's pleasure over your life, healing. Obviously you addressed that, but just in the area of his feltness of his presence, identity, and just being feeling freer. Would you say that's the yeah, case? Absolutely. Because for a long time, I, like I said, I've been leading worship since I was eight. And so at this point I was like 19, um, going on 20. And so for from then till I was 19, I had been carrying like this weight and this just like I was depressed and but I wasn't talking about it. Um, I would still get up and I would sing and I would declare healing and breakthrough over the room and people would be lives would be changed and yokes were being destroyed and things were happening. Um, but in reality, I was like inside. Nothing was happening for me. And so I would go home many times and I'm like, Lord, I see you're doing it for others. You're using me mightily in church. You're using me mightily different places where I go. And I would come home and I'll just be broken or I would leave the platform still feeling broken. Um, and so then 
that night, like I said, so much of that was released off to me. Even when I started traveling with Eddie um, earlier that earlier that year, 2019 is when I started. Um, I was singing for a long time. We were singing every night, day in, day out. And we were declaring this same song over and over again to everyone. You know, we were everywhere we went. We were releasing about Abba being father. And, and I, you know, again, I was still numb to my earthly father until that one night when it became real to me. Um, so absolutely, I felt um, his love again. I felt like a new perspective. He gave me like new perspective. Um, and even now, although my father, his response wasn't what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. We still don't have a relationship, but I love him. Um, I am. I don't have hatred in my heart towards him. I'm, I can smile about the situation now. Like it doesn't bring me sadness anymore. Um, so yeah, the whole thing just kind of that moment shifted the whole um, situation for me. So yeah. Hey man, that's that's profound, dude. And I know there are people listening that that will really minister to them. And hey, that might even be a challenge for them to reach out to their biological father or paternal figure in their life, man, to to make sure those things are right. Hey, let me throw something else at you. How did you discover your spiritual gift, uh, your musical giftings and predilections? How did that come about for you, bro? So, like I said, I grew up in church. Um, so, with my grandmother's church specifically, I did a little bit of everything. Um, my grandmother had me on the usher board. I was in MIT, which they don't really do anymore, but I was a part of ministers and training. Um, I played drums for a little bit. Uh, and my grandmother, my mother too, but my grandmother was very um, uh, supportive of whatever I wanted to do. And so, if I said I wanted to play drums, she went to a garage sale and found a drum kit and brought it home. If I said I wanted to play piano, she, I had a piano out there. I had a guitar, I had a bass, I had an acoustic guitar. I had it all out there. Um, I don't play none of them, <laughs> um, but there was a little season in church where I tried drums a little bit. I was singing. I was dancing on the team um, and I was preaching by the time I was like seven or eight, you know, giving little sermonettes on some Sundays. And um, and although I kind of run, I feel like I shy away from that now. But back then, like I was just all in. Like I just knew I was like, I don't know what it is I want to do fully, but I know it involves the Lord and I know it involves something in the house of God. And so I just did it all. I was dancing with the dance team, you know, if I needed to be a junior deacon and take up the offer, I did. I just did it all because I knew that whatever I wanted to do. And so, like I said, I would go home and there's some videos, you know, out there on like YouTube and such of like me at home, just in my room. Kind of like I have a room like this now, but back then I was little. And so I would be in my room, with my bears or my cars. And we were having church and um, <laughs> my church name used to be tearing down the walls of Jericho International Ministries. And like I had this whole idea. Um, and But I knew whatever I was going to do in life, it, it had like it revolved around the Lord. And it was something in church. Um, and then, like I said, around eight or nine, I started leading worship more consistently. And um, I found my passion, I believe, fully there. I still love all the arts. Um, I love going to dance conferences. I love, you know, getting to minister in different areas pertaining the arts still, too. But worship leading kind of just, um, I guess, also being in choir in school kind of made me find my passion in singing. And so that became more the forefront of what I was doing. I still, you know, would tinker around on the piano or play drums from time to time. Don't ask me to do it now because it's not good. But back then, like I would still explore other options, but I realized sooner or later that leading and singing was more so um, the main uh, part of my gifting. And so I've been doing that since then. And then I started leading at my mother's church. Like I said, she's a worship pastor at our oh, home nice. church here in Orlando. And so kind of just being raised up between my grandmother, who was a pastor, my mom, a worship pastor, they kept me in church. And I, you know, I loved it. I wanted to be in church. Like I didn't want to play sports. I didn't want to do anything. If the church doors are open or if my grandma was going to a service, I was right there with them. And um, I believe just by doing that, it just cultivated the gift that I have now. That's amazing. You know, in in spiritual gifts discovery, as you know, 
some point in time, any of us that we, whatever it is that God has graced us to do, we begin to develop a passion for it. You were describing yeah. that. You wanted to be that. You begin to step out. And some people, when they first step into something, they may not be particularly as good, but there's something in them that they want to continually do. Yeah. And then at a certain point in time, you just feel the presence of God when you're doing what it is that, that you've been gifted to do, that you're mantled to do. And then obviously there comes a point where other people who have authority, who understand and they begin to confirm. So when you first sang in that choir, did somebody go, oh my God, he, man, you got a voice or you got a gift or you have potential, son. How, how, did, how did that happen? You know, that's funny because I listen to videos now during like when I was younger and I'm like, I sounded a mess. Like, why are you guys <laughs> letting me, you know, like, why did you let me sing? Um, but I would say going back to that time, I think when at first, I was probably around 10 or 11 and our praise team at my mother's church, our youth praise team, we had, we would do like youth Sunday and um, around this time, I was kind of, well, this might have been around like 13, 14. I was headed into high school and um, we were, our youth team would sing and there was one particular service. I'll never forget it. Um, and sometimes I'll still go back and watch it because it's on YouTube. But there was one particular service. Um, it was around like Easter time, but it was Youth Sunday, but it wasn't on Easter, but it was around that time. And our youth praise team, we sung. And when we didn't, uh, my pastor couldn't preach, like nothing else could happen during service because the spirit of God was moving so strong. Uh, we could not get past this moment and um, just to see like the like us being used by God like that, it really impacted my life. And I always go back to that moment and watch that video every so often, because for me, it's a reminder of just like why I do what I do. And um, I've, I've been forever marked by that moment. And so I would say because of moments like that, they keep, they you know, even now they keep me going or I go back to those moments when I need like a reminder or refresher. Um, I'm so grateful for you too, because they're still on there. And so, uh, yeah, I would say moments like that are what marked it. Yes, people would say, Heath, you can sing, you're great. You, you do this. But those for me, because especially when I've listened to videos, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, if you say I'm good, I'm good. But uh, moments like in the presence of the Lord like that are really what marked me. And so. Bro, that is so profound. Just that saying that and then receiving that kind of affirmation. Hey, you know, it's leading worship and you're you're gifted and uh, you've had uh, Eddie James, great friend of ours, Christian uh, and I, and he's just an amazing worship leader. I, I can't even tell you. It was decades ago. We did some stuff together. He had mm -hmm. the team out here in California. California, we were actually south of us in Fresno, okay. and then we immediately clicked, and we've done a lot of stuff since that time. But how important is purity uh, of heart, let's say, let's be specific, in leading people into the presence of God? Like, how important is that as a worship leader in terms of what you look for in others and what you contend for and hold a standard up in your own life? Yeah. Well, for me, um, when I was studying this question, when you sent it, um, I wrote down that purity is what allows entrance into the presence of God. And so we see that in Matthew 5 and 8 when it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We see it in Psalms 24, um, around verse 3, when it says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Um, and I love Psalms 24 in the Passion Translation. I just want to read it. It says, who then is allowed to ascend to the mountain of Yahweh? And who has the privilege of entering God's holy place? Those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true and sealed by truth, Who um, those who never deceive, those whose words are sure. And so as a worship leader, 
leader. It is our job to make worship accessible to the church. And um, I feel like we sometimes do a bad job by putting these unrealistic expectations on people to perform and to commit and to like be obey and just expect them to be holy. When in reality, we should be accepting them where they are. And as long as their worship is sincere and transparent, it's pure to God. And so mm-hmm. um, I believe that's the kind of purity that allows us to enter into the presence of God. And then even as a worship leader leading a team, um, sometimes we put, again, those same, um, I don't want to say unrealistic expectations on our team members, but we just expect people to be perfect. And in reality, of course, we know that nobody is, although we all strive to be. And so it's our job in the house and on our team to create a culture um, of us leaning into, trusting into, and looking, trying to look after, look like Christ. And so it should just really be our desire. I believe that in a, to wrap it up, purity for us should really be our desire to just be more like him all around. And so, um, yeah. I love that, man. I love that answer. You know, especially that scripture is one of my kind of life scripture. Blessed yeah. are the pure in heart for they'll see God that yes. the Lord says, he spoke to me one time. He says, son, if you'll take care of the purity of your heart, yep. I'll take care of the clarity of your revelation of me. Absolutely. And I think we've seen, you know, we're not here to put anybody on blast or anything like that because we all need grace. And I love that you hit that where it's not about perfection. It's about progression. Yep. Christ is our perfection. We want to look like him. But we've seen, you know, some, some people their gifting, their ability to lead worship, their platform outgrew their their purity, their mm, uh, yeah. as you would say, their 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 uh, you know that place in their lives where they look like Jesus, and yeah. uh, you know you, you don't like to see that, but something happens, and we all have had that contrast where maybe we yeah. you know we listen to worship, we go oh something doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. but then one of the things when I heard you lead worship, uh, we've got a great worship leader we're associated with out here, Chris Aldajuste, and I give him a shout out that there's certain worship leaders that this is the thing. There's a, a you feel clean. They feel clean. There's a cleanness about them. And when that happens, I believe what happens is it's it, it's like it's a thinness in the air. And I hope people are kind of catching the way I'm trying to describe it is that when, when, when there is a lack of purity and there's kind of, it doesn't feel clean. You feel like there's barriers there and worship. There's so many aspects to worship, man. I mean, we could, we could talk and write a book on it, but, but one of it is it you're you're trying to eliminate the barriers between that person you're leading and the Lord. You're trying to get them to ascend that holy hill. And man, I just believe that's so important. And like, you know, I think it's so key that you're right. It's not just on worship leaders. It's on ministers. It's on preachers. It's on everyday us everyday rank and file believers. It's the desire. And I feel like that that purity is our protection. That mm-hmm. purity is our likeness unto Jesus. Yeah. Uh, that purity, you know, when the, when Jesus says, hey, the ruler of this world is being cast down, but he has no hole in me. In other yeah. words, the enemy doesn't have any kind of any kind of hook or anything like that. Like, yeah. again, for you, are you ever in a position where maybe either as you travel out or you get around different worship teams that you sense that there's like different convictions and stuff. Not that you're judging them, but yeah. you're just recognizing, wow, I, I could sense that there's just a difference. Yeah, I think I definitely could feel that. And even like you were saying about the congregation, I think us as humans, we can we just all can normally recognize when something doesn't feel authentic. And um, and I feel like that goes back to me saying sometimes I have to I go back and I watch videos of me as a young boy because it was pure and it was innocent and it wasn't clouded by money. It wasn't clouded by like this is like my job or anything. It was literally Preach. just pure. 
pure and it was sincere. I um I saw, I believe it was Tasha Cobb. She was preaching a sermon about this purity too, and just getting back to the place of where you started. And I believe if we keep that as a reminder, especially as a leader, and the more that we're exposed to the world and the more that we're exposed to um, as God takes us higher and things like that, it's important for us to keep that reminder of like why we why we started. And so I always faithful, like I said, I go back and I watch videos sometimes just because it was pure and like it wasn't tainted. I hadn't, you know, been exposed to the industry. I hadn't been exposed to the church. I was just an innocent boy in the garage worshiping because, you know, I just love to do it. And so I always try to remain in that place. And I believe that's why um, my ministry is how it is, because I always try to remain in that place of this little boy in the garage. And so every church I enter, every place that I go, no matter if I've been there before, I've been there 20 times, even at my local assembly now, it's just a garage to me. Like, it's not about a money. It's not about check. It's just me and the Lord. And so. Oh, bro. I mean, that's, yeah. that is pure, man. Was it Psalms 27? Uh, this one thing that I will desire, yeah. one thing that I ask, I may dwell in the house of the Lord, in the house of the Lord, the temple yeah. to behold his beauty. Yes. And bro, that's, that's so profound. Hey, Heath, we were talking, and man, I want to bring the listeners in on this. We were having a conversation just a little bit about kind of the difference of vertical and horizontal worship. And what what do you see is, how would you define it? And what do you, give us some examples of what you feel the distinction is between horizontal and vertical worship. Yeah. So I think um, in a short description, vertical is to God, horizontal is about God. And oh. so I think, I think where we go wrong with the horizontal side is we forget that God is still the center of it. And it becomes so much about ourselves that it feels like, and I think that's why so much of a like discussion in the church now. Because horizontal worship is biblical. Um, I wrote it down, 1 Corinthians 14, pretty much that whole kind of chapter. It gives us instructions on what like vertical, I mean, horizontal worship should look like. It should be mutually edifying, conviction of sin. It should um, encourage love and thanksgiving and witnessing to our um, unbelievers or others. And so, um, but the center of that is still, our focus is still about God. And so when Mm. we go wrong is sometimes as worship leaders, we may hear a song. um, And I can be guilty of it where we hear this great song on the radio and we're like, oh, this is going to hit on Sunday morning. But in reality, like it's just like a kind of like this encouragement to each other, which is great and it's needed. But if that if that consumes our whole set, we lose the focus on God. And so then I feel like that's why this conversation of vertical and horizontal is so prominent in the church now, because we're losing that even though we're singing, it may not be exactly to God, we're, we're still missing the about God element. And so um, I believe a great worship service should exemplify both of those. Um, our focus should always still be God, whether it's to him or about him, as long as we keep that the focus, both can happen in the moment. Man, I tell you, that's probably one of the most profound heat definitions. I love that. You said vertical worship is to God. Uh, horizontal worship is about God. Yeah. And just giving us that example, man, you, we were talking about this as well. And I love this because it has, it has a little bit of it. it you know, there are going to be some people that they're going yeah. to be <laughs> give them something to think when you say yeah. this. And so we're talking about the balance between the audience of one and the whole aspect of uh, finding this place where you're bringing the entire room into Jesus. Yeah. You know, this understanding of community, this understanding of communicating God. So talk to us about this, because obviously what we often hear is worship is the audience of one, the audience of one. But you had some thoughts on that, but I think think is powerful. Share that with us. Well, because for me as a worship leader, my job is to bring the room together 
to ascend, like we talked about. And so if my focus going out the gate is only on the audience of one, I can do that in my room. Uh. And the worship leader to me is not needed, like in the, in the corporate setting. But in a corporate setting, my focus, or I can even look at it like this. With my praise team in rehearsal, we sing to the audience of one. That's mm-hmm. where we're getting it for us. That's where we're making sure that God is pleased with us. In those moments, I may change songs. Like it could just be, because for me, that's maybe where the audience of one element can work. But in a corporate setting, my job as a worship leader, especially if I lead this local assembly week after week, it is to read the room and understand what's happening week after week because it's not the same. And it's my job to, well, one, make way so that the word is easy when it's time for pastor to get up there. And so I need to kind of be sensing what's happening. If I'm only focused on the one, then I'm missing what's needed, what what the what the room needs the one to do in their lives, so that, if I can say it that way. And so ultimately, when I start a praise worship set, I'm, I mean, yes, again, I'm singing about God. I'm singing to God. I want to glorify his name. But at the same time, I also am reading and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to guide me because maybe this song is not needed to be sung just yet. Like maybe we'll get to that in a moment. And so then once the whole room is on one accord and I feel like we're ready to ascend and we're ready to go, then we can focus our attention on the one. And so I believe there has to be a balance of both, um, if that makes sense. No, totally. Because the way I'm, I, I got this picture as you're talking, I'm thinking about a bridge, but a bridge, if it doesn't connect both sides, it's a pier, right? Like Absolutely. if it doesn't connect. And so I think we've seen a lot where people can connect to people, but they don't connect to God. Where you're not a bridge. But you're making a great. Ex- a, go ahead, sorry, bro. I, th- I think a great example is sometimes, um, especially some of the newer ways of how uh, people call like spontaneous worship and things like that. And we, you feel like as when you're in the room, especially when the worship um, moment first starts. And like the leaders facing the back wall or they're like already like they're already to that place and you feel left out. I feel like when you get so focused on we're just worshiping the one, you lose what the what your job as a leader is supposed to do for the room. And so I've been in places before where the first thing that the leader gets out there and does, they get on their knees, they're barefoot they're And it's just really to them. And they're singing, but they they haven't grabbed us and taken us with them just yet. Um, mm. And so we focus so much, like I said, on this audience of one idea, which is great. And I I love it. And I do understand what people say when they mean it. So I don't want to get that like that. I'm not against, uh, you know, that I'm just against it. But as a worship leader, my job is much bigger than just me focusing on the one. My job is more to, in this corporate setting, to bring all of us to focus on the one. I love that because you brought a good balance, even as we were talking earlier, that, hey, God will always be the object, objective, be all, end all of our worship. Well, what, you're, what you're saying is if you don't bring the people with you, then it fails to be a corporate worship yeah. of the Lord. It's just a singular worship. Yeah. And I love that idea because I think, you know, Paul as an apostle, but as an evangelist, he says, I became all things to all men oh, in some man. way that I may win some. In other words, yeah. if I go out and I'm talking over people's heads, you know, yeah. this is another analogy, but if I'm out and I'm, I'm in a, a, you know, unchurched crowd and I'm using all my Christianese, they're not tracking with me. They're wondering like, yeah. what's going on? I don't, I don't even you connect. So I could be sharing in my estimation, I'm connecting with God. I feel like I'm, yep. I'm sharing the gospel, but if they don't understand and they can't track with me, I can't lead them anywhere. And yep. so what you're saying is you're not kicking the audience of one to the curb. You're saying, Hey, he's the objective. He's the be all in all. That's what we're trying to get. Yes. But as a worship leader, you got to take in consideration, where yep. is the room at? What's going yes. on this Sunday? And I think that's part of being prophetic is that what the, what, what is the Holy Spirit breathing on 
that is the key to this service to unlock the corporate expression of where God wants to bring up a, a people. Yeah, I saw an, an analogy and I hope I say it correctly, but they basically said that the audience of one kind of mindset is basically saying that God is the audience, but then that makes everybody else in the room, either the actors or the directors. And it's more like a stage play to God. Um, and so, like I said, it just has to be a balance, I believe, to both of those. Um, I want I, I, any set I do or any worship experience or uh, service I'm a part of, my ultimate goal is whether I have five minutes, 20 minutes, 30, 45 minutes, at the end of it, I want us all to be at that place together. I want us all to be worshiping the one. I want us all at the end of it all to be singing to him who so sits good, upon man. the throne, be blessed and honor and glory and power. Um, but it can't, sometimes it doesn't, it's not always easy to start that way. Sometimes you have to break through some foul ground. Or sometimes you have to, you know, help people shake off their day or shake off what they just, maybe they were in the car fighting on the way to church and they just not ready to come in right away singing to him who sits upon the throne, you know? And so <laughs> there just has to be a balance. Um, and I, sometimes I just think as worship leaders, we can miss that because we're so focused on the one. Man, and it's so true because if I'm hearing you correctly, and I love this, it's that worship is partial if it's only an action. What you're saying is the action has to lead to transaction. Absolutely. So if we we do this thing where it's just the action, you're saying if we're just the actors, we're just yep. doing actions, but God, it's his heart that it become transactional. So Absolutely. part of that is you're taking in not only from our end, what we need to do, but from God's end, his heart is he wants yes. to release something amongst the people corporately. But if they're not, if they're not connected, they're distant, distracted, gone, Absolutely. never, never caught your bridge. It's like you're a boat, you docked. Hey, I need all y'all to get on this boat because we got to take you over to that God island Absolutely. over there. But if you, you're making people jump and they can't make the boat. Yeah, they can't get on safely. Yeah. Some, some people make it, but some people, <laughs> they stuck yep. on the by the beach, man. I love that, man. Hey, Heath, we're going to have you here in Oakland, California, man. And we're going to have you for our momentum night. And I told you, man, we just, we gather the hungry. We gather the uh, revival core. We gather the lost. We gather uh, people that, man, are struggling in some areas, just people that want the more of God. Yeah. Man, what can you give or, or speak to someone as to why they need to be there August 25th, 7 o'clock at 42? 92 Keller Avenue, Sequoia Church. Why do they need to come and join us that night, bro? Yeah, I um, I guess as a traveling artist or minister, I love when I get to go from different coast to coast or different um, regions in the uh, in I'll say the United States. Um, but I specifically love when I go over to the West Coast because there's such a it's a different hunger over there. Um, and especially the ones that are tapped in and they're a part of it. Everybody's contending for the same thing, and so maybe there's going to be somebody that um, maybe he's not there just yet, but once they get inside that room and everybody's going going after the same thing and they are fires start igniting each other's. And um, I just believe that a, a fresh fire is going to be activated in you that night. I believe that the Lord wants to encounter you that night. And so if I was you, I wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't want to miss this moment in this person, not just because I'm coming. I'm a nobody. I'm just singing about somebody, try, you know, trying to lead us all to, to him. And so I would just encourage you to be there not miss this moment um, to be set ablaze again and to uh, get this passion and this fire reignited again. It's going to be amazing. And I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be there, excited about what God's going to do. Um, yeah, I'm just expecting. Come on, Heath. Hey, man, I know there's some people that are listening, uh, man, that would love to stay in touch and connect with you, your ministry and the stuff you're going on. How can our listeners, and I, I just want to commend you, keep it 100 tribe, follow this guy, get his materials, download his stuff, whatever he's got. It's amazing. So Heath, talk to us, man. How can our people stay in contact with you? Yeah, 
I am on Facebook. Heath, you can just type in Heath King. Um, a page will pop up there. I'm on Instagram, Heath King Music. Uh, you can also go to my website. I have music there and also on all digital platforms. Uh, but my website, IamHeathKing.com. Um, stay connected there. There's some merch there that you can buy and enjoy and wear. Um, and I'm working on some new projects. I'm working on an album soon. Um, and so just super excited about And it's called Mission Crowd Heaven because ultimately my mission is to depopulate hell and crowd heaven. Ooh. And so um, my first album, I wanted it to be a representation of that. And so it's all about heaven. It's all about winning souls. And they're all scripture-based songs. So we're working on that, hopefully to be released at the beginning of the year. Um, but I'm working on a single that's going to come out in October. So yeah, you can, all of those details and updates will be on my social media platform, my website. Um, and yeah. Come on, Heath, man. Sure appreciate you. Looking forward here that we're about to have you up here in the Bay shortly. Hey, yes, man, sir. thanks for jumping on the pod with this. Heath, you're amazing. We sure love you, bro. Yes, sir. Love you too. Thank you for having me. Hey, you guys, was that amazing or what? Oh, my gosh. I love this guy. He's just, he's amazing. I'm so excited for him to be in the Bay with us, to bring what he carries, and just his revelation of, you know, what it is to bring the room into the throne room, to have a corporate encounter, and just what he carries and the journey he's walked in. I mean, being marked since he was a little guy. I mean, that's just unique. I just, he's, I just love that he has recognized he's always had a hunger and an appetite for the things of God. You know, the thing that I think stood out, there's a couple things, obviously, that one is that he would come back from church and he would play church in the garage <laughs> set up so and he said cute. he'd play church but then all of a sudden Jesus starts showing up I love that the Holy Spirit that. touched him but he, he even said today that uh, he always goes back to just that little kid that just wanted Jesus to show up in the garage I love that. and I think that's keeping it simple it's keeping it pure it's keeping yeah. it vertical it's keeping it intentional it's keeping it authentic and I, and I feel like maybe in that there's a call to us to go back to those moments when Jesus first made himself real to mm, us. That's good. Those moments when our motives were pure. Maybe for some of us, there was less demands on us. And it was just kind of like we we were coming to Jesus just because we love Jesus and we knew Jesus loved us and making that pure. And I, I think that's really part of what worship is, getting back to that. And what happens is it transcends into your lifestyle. It re- you know, so well said. And I think it really captures the heart of what this is all about. It really is about giving our lives fully and completely to Jesus in whatever vein. Some of you are not a worship leader or a preacher in a traditional sense, but keep 100 Tribe. I want you to know wherever you find your influence, your sphere of influence in your life, uh, let it be an example of vertical worship because it changes atmospheres, it changes lives. And we just want to encourage you, truly, you have one life to live. One, that's it. And we all know it goes really fast. And the older you get, the quicker it gets. I mean, there's the truth in that. And really recognize in that one life, let it be fully devoted to Jesus. There's no greater posture you can have in your life than devoting your life fully and completely to Jesus. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Thank you, Brown Tribe. We're so glad you joined us for this episode. Make sure to catch us on our next episode. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100!